and welcome to Portraits of Grief Podcasts. Your host today and always, Tiffany Bernal and licensed clinical social worker, Tara Storm. Together, we are a griever and a therapist who make up Portraits of Grief podcast and community. So thanks for tuning in and here we go. Hello and welcome back to Portraits of Grief podcast, Tiffany and Tara, and we are joined today, this is episode 21, I always shout out the episode number, um, with our special guest today, we have Benjamin, now I might be pronouncing this wrong, is it Kintish? You got it, Kintish. I, I got it, hooray. Benjamin, let me share with our listeners more about you before we start chatting away here. Um, You are a cantor, a chaplain, and a music teacher. In addition to your involvement with theater and songwriting, Life Review is the first musical that you have created. You have a love for singing and performing on stage. Since your youth, you graduated Brown University with concentration in Judaic studies. Graduate studies at Jewish Theological Seminary included a master's in sacred music along with a cantorial degree. Kintish recently completed his fourth year, your fourth year, of chaplaincy training, having served in both hospice and elder care facilities. Most recently, you became a middle school chorus teacher in Dun. Dundalk, Maryland. You currently yep. live in Columbus, Maryland with your wife, daughter, and dog. So the last part is Columbia, Maryland. Um, though my funny sister-in-law loves to always call it Columbia. Columbia. So if it's Columbia, you're going to Central America or South America. Columbia. Columbia. Yeah. yeah. It's near uh near Baltimore and DC. Oh, cool. all right. Interesting. Cool. Well, I found it interesting, Benjamin, that you reached out to us um, a couple months ago because uh, you have this interesting story where you serve and you've served as a chaplain for many years working with families um, near end of life and hospice care. Um, I know you've also gone through some loss of your own and sort of it sounds like the combination of those items brought you to fulfilling your your daytime passion as well, music and musical theater. And you created this musical called Life Review. And when you reached out to me, it was interesting because outside of Grief World and wanting to be a grief advocate and doing this podcast, I personally just love musical theater and and have a a background. And Tara and I actually used to both work in marketing at a theater company. So it was interesting. And this is going to be a little bit different of an episode than we're used to, um, but that's okay. And so thank you for being here. Well, it's my pleasure to be here and, and thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, of course, your listeners couldn't see because this is a, a podcast. But when you mentioned the word musicals, I did some enthusiastic jazz hands. Jazz hands. Yeah, jazz hands. Jazz hands. So listeners at home, get your fingers ready. Do jazz hands throughout <laughs> the episode, especially when we're talking about uh, illness, death, and dying. Jazz hands. Mm-hmm. No, we don't do that too much in the play, just a little bit. Um, but we'll get to that. It's not about the choreography, really. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so tell us, Benjamin, so you're, tell us how you got inspired to this. And really, I think it's really interesting, just your history about being a chaplain and working in that hospice field. I think it's something we haven't really talked about. And I think a lot of our listeners and even former guests, myself included, being a griever, I, I've been through that. I've been through the hospice stage twice now mm-hmm. um, with my parents. And so, yeah, just start sharing away. What's your story? My story. Um, maybe I'll, I'll talk a tiny bit about my chaplaincy journey before I pivot to how, how that led to the play. 
So um, I'm trained as a cantor, which your listeners may or may not know. It's a Jewish music minister. So I went to Jewish Theological Seminary for five years. You heard that in the bio in the intro. And, uh, you know, a music minister is a full clergy person. And so you learn about music and you learn about Judaics and you, you work in a community. So I, my first job was a small synagogue in central New Jersey. And, and like so many houses of worship all over the country, it's starting to skew older by the day. I mean, that's just a, a fact of demographics, especially for your non-fundamentalist sects in Judaism and Christianity. The average churchgoer or synagogue goer we know is getting older and older. So I saw this separate from all the research trends, just looking out in the pews, man, there were a lot of older people. And as a function of that, almost from the first month I was on the job, there were funerals, there was bereavement. Uh, in the Jewish world, we do something called Shiva, which is the seven days of mourning. So I always had Shiva calls where they're saying, Cantor, we need you to so-and-so house to lead that little prayer service for the mourners. I was glad to do so as part of my, my duties um, as, as a synagogue cantor. It's an honor to, to officiate at life cycles. Um, but the fact that it was happening so much to me was a signal like maybe I need to enhance those skills. That led me to chaplaincy training. Um, you know, a lot of it, your listeners may or may not know, a lot of clergy, when they do all of that life cycle stuff, they're kind of doing it made up as they go based on one or two classes they took in seminary 20 years ago, and then their accrued experience, which may or may not lead them to actually have good pastoral skills. The reason why chaplaincy training is so intensive, I mean, I just recently concluded my fourth year of training. The reason why you train so long is because it's really difficult work to sit with someone in their time of intense emotional need and make space for their hurt, hear their stories or hear their pain, identify the difficult feelings, and then raise them up in prayer. And, and can you do that in 20 or 30 minutes with someone you've never met before? It's, it's, uh, it's not an easy skill. And certainly it's even more intense um, when you do so in the world of acute care, um, like hospitals. And I would say also certainly in hospice care as is portrayed in my play, Life Review, the hospice musical. So Sarah, you, I feel like you can relate a lot to what he's saying, just pouring out to people every day in those moments. And so what are your well, thoughts yeah. on all this? Well, uh, it's funny when you say you use the word skill, um, but it's almost like developing a comfort level with other people's pain, right? So sitting with someone with their pain is actually, you don't need many skills, but you need to be reassured that sitting there is a beautiful gift that so many people are uncomfortable with um, because most of us want to fix pain and we're uncomfortable with it. So we want the, usually when I do like a training with someone or like a class or like, what's the perfect thing to say when someone's grieving? Like they want the secret sauce or like that magic bullet statement. And the reality is sitting with someone and like, I think when you sit Shiva, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Is that seven days of like 24 hour, four hour? I mean, that's a long 
you're there for hours, right? In someone's home with them. Right. So what it, for for more traditional Jews, um, those who are mourning the the close loved ones will sit on a symbolic low stool or a box close to the floor. So like their sitting is like a manifestation of their low feeling of grief. Wow. Um, and for the people who come in, they don't need to do a marathon visitation, but there are a whole bunch of interesting rituals in the Jewish faith as there are in other faiths as well that, that help to make the time. It's, it's almost like if you follow those rituals, some sort of special time will be delineated by the way you're behaving differently. I mean, that's that's kind of the, the way a, a traditional Jewish Sabbath observance works, right? If you're not going to drive or use electricity and you stay home with your family, by definition, you're having a different kind of experience. Similarly, um, when we do our morning rituals in the Jewish faith, um, including the very beautiful in-home prayer service for mourners, um, it's a different experience than a regular Absolutely. prayer service. And doesn't there have to be 10, 10 men? Is That's that right. correct? Or okay. Depending on, the, on the, the version of Judaism, a okay. more traditional Judaism only counts uh, Jewish men for quorums. More liberal types of Judaism, including the, the kind that I work with, Reconstructionist Judaism, Reform Conservative Judaism, we all uh, count any Jewish adult 13 or older as counting towards a prayer quorum. I, I um, asked a client once, I said, well, what if you don't have 10 Jewish men? And she's like, you wouldn't live in that area. <laughs> that was her answer. She's like, you wouldn't live there if you didn't, you couldn't find 10 people. Hmm. Right. So, so for more observant communities, they certainly gather close together so that they can support one another through prayer and through communal celebration. Beautiful. I mean, that just community alone is necessary. Um, and, and I think that could be really uh, comforting for a griever. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I can tell you separate from all the chaplaincy training, just being a pulpit cantor now for a total of five or six years, I've recently stepped away from that. But when I was still working in a synagogue setting, both in New Jersey and more recently here in Maryland, I loved getting the Shiva calls. I loved being in those homes. Um, they're not that convenient. You know, they're like at 7.30 or 8 o'clock when you got to put your kid to bed. But it is a beautiful ritual, and people are so grateful. And it's a real special kind of community feeling to have 20 or 30 people packed in, you know, holding these tiny little prayer books, and they're all together as as a way of bringing the community to to the mourner when the mourner is not permitted traditionally to to seek out the the synagogue prayer service in the synagogue building itself we're a little bit far afield from from the uh, the chaplaincy but I'll, I'll tell you this that the reason why i went so deep into that is i noticed from the beginning um regardless of how much people wanted to come to synagogue for regular prayer service, people seem to really show up for the mourners. And I've heard that from a lot of, of other Jewish clergy people I'm friendly with all over. Regardless of how many folks come to regular services, when someone dies, people really show up. I mean, I remember, um, I know you guys love to talk about people's stories about 
grief, um, part of the, the memories for me about my own first grief experiences when I was a child, losing uh, or rather having my, my grandmother and then a few years later my grandfather die, um, I remember the shivas, that, that is those services in my parents' home. Now, because my parents were very involved in their synagogue as volunteers, it was packed. They were important community people and everyone came. And they didn't know my deceased grandfather or grandmother, but they were paying their respects to my parents who were wow. considered important community leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that, that to me felt lovely. I mean, I, I imagine that didn't in any way diminish the hurt at that moment, having just recently buried one parent or the other, but it's certainly a, a warm feeling, you know, it, it, I, I guess it's, it's analogous to a crowded funeral, you know, Oh, your, your dad died, but the church is overflowing. Well, that's nice. You know? And so it's a similar kind of thing when people show up, I mean, you were talking Tara before about how difficult it is to know what to say. Um, you, you listeners at home, second time I did something visual, I put my finger up to my lips and something that we do learn in chaplaincy training is how to make holy space. Um, there's a, a term in Hebrew called simtum, which means the withdrawal. There's a, according to one legend, uh, for God to create the world, God had to remove God's self from the place that would become the universe and earth to make space for God's creation. So if God was everywhere and God couldn't remove God's self, there would be no space for anything else. Hmm. That's that's kind of mystical and theological. But if you think about it in a more practical day-to-day, let's say, uh, how about a jazz quartet? If you have four musicians playing, when one musician is soloing, the other three need to pull back a little bit to make sure that the musician is heard. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and we need to do that in, in, in life all of the time. Uh, chaplains have to work very hard. Um, Tara, you were, you were talking about like, is it, is it really a skill? Well, part of the skill in a way, it's similar to what a good therapist does is y- you are there as a person but you try your damnedest not to insert yourself as a character in the dialogue. So good, yeah. So for instance, um, I'll, I'll take one that's not that heavy. When I was training, I did some rotations in a rehab unit in this big um, elder care facility. So when it's rehab and when it's elder care, the most common thing is the broken hip, right? An older person falls, they break their hip. It's a major surgery. They go to rehab for two weeks, sometimes a month or more if there's complications. And they can see a chaplain. And you know what? They are in distress. They're not dying, but they're in distress. And they would say to me like, Cantor, I can't believe I'm here. And I'd say, I know, tell me about it. Yeah. And and I'll tell you when I was a beginner, my my instinct would be like, Oh, yeah, when I was in the hospital, when I broke my elbow, blah, 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 which is what a normal person does, right? So-and-so says, I have a headache, and you say, one time I had a headache, and it's like, it actually doesn't help the person with the headache. Pro tip, don't tell the person about your headache. Say, I'm sorry to hear that you're hurting. Mm. Uh, So chaplains have to work hard 
to, as you said before, Tiffany, to, to like hear their pain, but then not make it about us. Um, even if it reminds us of our own story. So if, you know, the last time I was hospitalized uh, for a while, I had this major elbow injury, snowboard crash. So if I meet someone who hurts their elbow right away, I'm going to be thinking, oh, elbow person, I want to talk about snowboarding. And then I'm like, nope, don't talk about snowboarding, Ben, because it's not about you. Now on this podcast, I can tell you about snowboarding because I'm your guest and it's sort of about me. But in terms of sharing <laughs> with, with your listeners, um, especially with grievers, I think it's important to be there. That's the number one thing. Show up. Don't flake out on the funeral or the wake or the viewing. You can't catch the heebie-jeebies. You're not going to die by going there. All that stuff is, um, I think, I think all of those, those myths are born of our fears, right? It's, it's a little bit scary to see death up close. Um, and I think it's even more scary if it is a death that is so-called shocking or unexpected. You know, right. if it's someone who's, dying younger than, I don't know what the magic number is these days, 70 or so. And then we're all like, oh my God, they died so young. Or if it's someone who dies suddenly or dies in a shocking way, like an OD or suicide yeah. or murder, car crash. Those are all horrible. Um, but the thing is, whether it's expected or not, we need to show up because the people who are mourning, they, they really benefit from our presence. If you well, don't grief is so isolating, right? So grief is so isolating. And to hear that people are showing up, that's beautiful. Because so many people feel alone, totally alone. Sure. Yeah, I think when you ask someone, like, how is your grief journey? Often you hear it's just been isolating. Because Isolate. when the person dies, it almost feels like you have people, maybe support around you, hopefully, and you feel that, but then life goes on and it, it's just isolating in ways. So that's a beautiful sentiment. And I think, I think Ben, it's interesting that you said it was uh, beautiful to get these calls. Uh, uh, and I think that's interesting because I think most people would cringe or feel uncomfortable. So have you always been like this? Like, were you five years old and someone said, hey, little Ben, what do you want to be when you grow up? We're like, what was your answer? Like, was this always part of your career? Uh, at, age, at age five, I'm pretty sure I was still on ice cream truck driver or okay. baker. Okay. But I can tell you having maintained a nice friendship with my childhood rabbi, Jeff Hoffman, um, I saw him at a recent conference and I was telling him about the musical and my chaplaincy training. And he was so delighted to hear that I was visiting with elders. He said, Ben, do you remember when you were a kid, you used to go sit at the old people table and have cookies at them? And I said, yeah, I guess I did. And he said, he said, I always thought that was really sweet. He said, most Kids in elementary school don't go over to the table with the old people to eat cookies. They go find where the other kids are. Right. So I, I think I had a little bit of an old soul. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, I mean, when we, we may speak at, at some length about my earlier grief moments with my grandparents, but before they, they passed away, before they died, they never lived that close. So it was like a couple of visits in summer, maybe once in the winter when they're in Florida or not. But 
you know, as I look back on it, it's sort of surprising that they were in the region and we didn't see them that much for whatever reasons. Who knows with family right. drama, right? But but I always think I was sort of reaching out for grandparents who weren't there. On my mother's side, they were both deceased by the time I was three. So I just didn't have a lot of grandparents around. Yeah. With um, your other grandparents, I know you have a story or uh, you posted something on our Instagram about your grandma. And then you mentioned more about your, I believe it was your dad's dad when we chatted the other day. Do mm-hmm. you have fond memories of them? Like were those moments that you really remember being sad over your grandparents and and all that. Yeah, I I mean, so the short answer is yes, I have fond memories of my grandparents. I have much stronger emotional connection to my grandfather. Uh, his name was Bernie, and uh, Jews typically will s- say someone's name and then say, of blessed memory. So Grandpa Bernie, of blessed memory. Um, he was very, very sweet and friendly. He was a postman back before they invented UPS and the postal service did all of the packages, they called it parcel post. So he worked parcel post for years and in a big neighborhood of Rockaway Queens where because he was working the same blocks years after years, he knew thousands of people in the neighborhood by name. And later on when he retired, and then eventually when he died, we got all these notes that people from the neighborhood, they all knew Bernie Kintish because he was so kind and and knew everyone's names and asked about their health and their birthdays and their dogs and all of that. So that was sort of his legacy. Um, Grandma Charlotte, she was kind of a, a tough cookie. She was a little bit prickly. And so I did not have a very warm relationship with her. But I can tell you this, for most of us grown people, we remember the first time we as children um, either experienced death close to ourselves or saw one of our dear loved ones experience death. So for me, when my grandma Charlotte died, I think I was eight years old. And actually, you know, I know we're talking here today a little bit about my play. So it's in a sense, it's theater, and it's perfect that my first musical is all about death and dying and grief, while my first grief memory is a little bit about theater. So here it goes. (laughs) We're getting ready for a field trip in third grade to go see the dress rehearsal of the high school musical. So there, the day before they put up the big show, they do a daytime show, invite all the children in the district, and everyone wins, right? So it's an exciting annual trip and I loved plays. So I was excited and we're in the restroom. You know, they make you go to the bathroom before you get on the bus. That's a thing they do in elementary school. (laughs) And uh, I'm in the bathroom and then, oh no, it was right before the bathroom, you know, PA, you know, so-and-so call the office. Teacher gets on the phone, Benjamin. And she like kind of brings me over close and says, I have some sad news. I just got a call from the office. Your grandma Charlotte died. You can choose, do you wanna go home or do you wanna go to the play? Which I think at the moment was meant to be nice. I don't think they should have given me that choice. They probably should have just said, you need to go home to be with your family. You'll go to next year's play, but whatever. They gave me that choice and I loved theater. So I said, I wanna go to the play. And I went to the bathroom and then I saw my friend Eric and I was like, just after I 
flushed and washed. I started crying a little bit. And he goes, Ben, what's going on? Why are you sad? And I said, my grandma died. And then like waterworks. And he was like, and you're going to go to the play? And I was like, I don't know. You know, crying, crying, crying. And in a way, like with all the distance, it's a little bit comical because you can just totally picture that weepy seven or eight year old little boy who's sad about grandma, but not really sure what does it mean to have grandma die. Right. And I'm sad about missing the play. And I'm and I might have even been a little bit sad about not getting my emotions right. Like, yeah, was yeah. I supposed to just be so sad that I would skip the play automatically? Um, and, you know. All of that stuff, even though it is very particular to elementary school, I believe that whole scene, you could totally yeah. take it, add 30 years, and that is real life for a lot of grown-ups when they get the call. Because right away it's, do if, if someone in my family has died, does everything in my life literally stop right now? Or can I like take care of some stuff before I fly tomorrow? You know, um, do I need to be crying right now? What if I had a grandma or mother or spouse? Well, hopefully spouse, if, if they were difficult, you didn't stay together. But like if if a, a member of your family dies who was very difficult, what maybe you're not crying. And that that's a, a term that that we in the business call complicated grief. Um, you know, when when you're at a funeral and everyone's weeping for this person who they say is wonderful, but you knew them as a real difficult family member that's confusing um anyway yes yeah. so i that's my story about about grandma charlotte oh the other thing i wanted to mention about grandma i because i had only seen her a few times a year since i was little because she wasn't super lovey-dovey i'm able to say i did not have a close close feeling with her and therefore my grief wasn't really about me too much and my relationship with her However, I remember seeing my grandfather, who I adored, he was wrecked and sobbing openly. My father, with whom I have somewhat challenging relationship, but still, I love my dad, he was crying openly. And so at the funeral, when I finally cried, it was about the combination yeah. of the, the cantorial music, which is very emotional and plaintive and dramatic, and seeing the grandfather and the father crying. Maybe it was like a cue to me, like, okay, we're all crying now. Or maybe all of that, that sadness out there in the, mo in the, in the, in the air at once. Yeah. I, I picked up on it and I felt it. Yeah. Um, Do you think yeah. the, the passing, the loss of your grandma and grandpa um, is sort of what led you to have a desire to work as a chap chaplain and, around grieving families or was it something else? Um, not, not directly. I, I'll tell you, Tiffany, that, that when we study in chaplaincy training, we do spend a lot of time talking about our own biographies, including timelines of deaths and talking about which deaths we've experienced and processing it and, mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, I'll say that my involvement in hospice care specifically may have been partially influenced by the experience I had watching my grandfather. Um, he was hurt in a, in an accidental fall in my backyard, which I witnessed. That was a, that was a sad thing to see. And then he was hospitalized 
for approximately eight or nine months mm. to follow um, with a series of complications, many strokes, and eventually he died in the hospital. Oh, oh gosh. Um, so That's that so was not uncommon. Unfortunately, to this day, it is not uncommon. And part of the reason why I really believe in hospice care is um, a lot of us, when we are healthy, we say we would prefer to die at home than to than to die in a hospital. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of us say at a certain point we would prefer fewer um, so-called dramatic interventions to be used. Mm -hmm. But a lot of us also forget to do those important medical directives or advanced directives. Mm -hmm. um, at the time that my grandpa died, early 90s, very few people his age had advanced directives. That's a much more common thing nowadays. Though still, uh, if you're listening and you don't know what an advanced directive is or you've been meaning to do one and you haven't yet, please do one today or tomorrow um, because it's never too early but it's very easy for it to be too late. Yeah. God forbid mm -hmm. tomorrow or next month or next year, you or your loved one is incapacitated. You cannot communicate your, your needs. Um, anyway, I, that was a, a little bit of bonus soapboxing. The reason why it came up though, is because we watched this beloved patriarch struggle and I mean, it's hard to know as his speech diminished too, but it would appear that his quality of life was quite poor. And that that is a sad memory that I have. So when I discovered what hospice was as an adult, that it uh, prioritizes um, the reduction of symptoms, that it elevates pain relief and comfort, um, that it often facilitates family visitation in a way that hospitals sometimes cannot. Um, as I learned more and more about hospice care, I saw this is really a, a different kind of way to care for people and a humane and beautiful way. Um, so again, it's not a, it's not a direct line, but you know, I, I, I think when the, um, when we love someone who's older, the last thing most of us want to do is quote, give up. But just the fact that that is a familiar phrase shows that we have like this false construct about life and death as something that is to be tried for. Like, is it a battle? Like that whole war metaphor thing I hate. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you know what? We are not fighting. Um, you and I and everyone who's listening, we are all guaranteed the same outcome, which is right. our own death. Mm -hmm. When and where and how is unknown, right? Um, so that's something it's actually, I'll, uh, I'll tie it to um, one, one of the, the best songs in the play is our opening number. It's called Spoiler Alert. And the big joke um, is, spoiler alert, everybody dies in the end. And that's a funny little punchline. And then I list all of the different types of people there are, you know, the lowliest pauper, the loftiest king, the hero and villain of each tall tale, the sailor who battled the full force gale. Every one of these characters, guess what? They all die in the end. Right. Now, whether or not you like heard their death in the story doesn't matter. 
because when this even if they say the end they lived happily ever after guess what they don't live happily ever after forever right that's true and so it's a combination of all because i know when you spoke the other day you're saying it's about these life stories so yes the the your musical um life review is really a sort of a a plot about different life stories um from your own experience would you say right it, the the pl- the idea for the play came from this wonderful experience i had as a beginner chaplain visiting with individuals bedside we do this technique called life review where we ask questions to help invite uh, the stories that are like a highlight reel of a person's life so i loved doing life review as you can tell i love to talk and when you get patients who are communicative, not everyone is, right? But there's some patients who can talk beautifully until their death. Mm-hmm. They were so happy to share these stories, to tell me about their dreams, to tell me about their prides, and, and in some cases, their shames. I love these stories. One night I called my wife. I said, sweetie, I think these stories that I'm hearing bedside, I think they want to be songs. Mm-hmm. She replied, well, Ben, get writing. That yeah. Night, yeah, that night I, I picked up one of these, you know, journal books with the with the black and white covers, and I started scribbling out some song lyrics that would become the first ballad in the show, which is called Will It Still Snow When I'm Gone. Wow. It's such an interesting uh, thing that you're that you've done because it's you've combined your two worlds, right? You've combined your worlds of working with with grieving and death and hospice and created this musical. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing because why not bring a little bit more joy to folks' lives through listening to, to some music about this? And I mean, not to say make light out of it, but uh, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, well, it's, it's so important. Um, you know, a lot of people when they hear the concept, they say, wait, a, a musical about hospice, is that a joke? I say, it isn't a joke, but it's surprisingly funny. And we, we pepper the whole play with a lot of comedy. Um, and, and some of it is gallows humor, but here's the thing. We need to laugh about difficult things to make it a little bit more comfortable. That's, that's one piece of it, right? That's the reason why we love to laugh about sex and about drugs and alcohol and politics and aging. All these things that kind of make us cringe in polite conversation, we love to laugh about them because it just kind of, I don't know, it, it, it makes it okay somehow. In my play, we laugh about the sexuality of aging people. We laugh about dreams that were real and dreams that were absurd. We laugh about um, our body falling apart. Uh, you know, but the betrayal of the aging body. We we laugh about, um, you know, the not the, the silliness of like eating when you when your teeth aren't working. You know, a lot of jokes about pudding. Not too many, I hope. But like, th- there are funny things in every situation in life, including in a hospice. And I can tell your listeners that the two years I worked in hospice care, I loved it in that sort of idiomatic way, but also almost like looking up to heavens, like, God, can you help them? Or like, God, where are you? I imagine many of us who are strong believers may, I've also had personal moments where you get that call that mom or dad just dropped dead or that so-and-so died in a crash or so-and-so died in a, 
in a murder or whatever. And then you look to the heavens and you're like, God, how could you, how could you leave me in this moment? I mean, the way I'm doing it on camera right now is rather cinematic. And certainly in movies and in plays, there is that moment where the person literally looks up. That, yeah. But mm. the thing, I think we all, if, if we have a loving, hopeful, comforting relationship with a higher power, when tragedy knocks at our door, it becomes hard to reconcile with a God who we expect to protect us. That right there is the theological nut that's very hard for our hero, the rabbi, to crack. Yeah, He loves God. He's a servant of God. He wants to help people. But he's still drowning in his own grief. How can both of those things be true? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's all true. So many layers. Yeah. To grief and to to hospice, to everything. Yeah. People can resonate with that, whether they're um, clergy or not. I mean, I, I think so many people can can understand that moment um, in their own lives that they felt that way. Do I'm curious, people use this word to describe me because I'm in the grief world. Um, and I'm certain they might use it for you as well. I don't know how you, if you've had thoughts about it, but the word morbid. Mm. Do you hear that Ben? Sure. Um, They, I haven't really, because I have this affect with a lot of smiles and jokes, and I sometimes use buffoonery where I act the fool on purpose just to like amuse the caregivers. And I, I don't think there's anything about me that, that someone would say was morbid. However, the fact that I've created a whole musical about hospice, death and dying, you know, people want to say to me like, Man, that's, that, that sounds kind of bleak and then right. i have to reassure them that there's a lot of comedy um you know certainly all joking aside when i was working as a hospice intern and i let people in my life know i was doing that there certainly were a lot of questions you know it, to state the obvious as i like to do um there are certain jobs that get certain reactions. When someone says they are, uh, you know, an ER surgeon, people go, whoa. When someone says they're a beat cop, you know, in Detroit, you go, whoa. When someone says you're a chaplain in hospice, they go, whoa. Now it's a different kind of whoa than the beat cop uh, or the surgeon, but the whoa (laughs) or whatever the, the noise is, it has to do with and understanding that hospice is a, you know, for one, it, for people that don't have a, a close connection to hospice, if they know what it is in general, it's like the place that people go to die. Okay, that is roughly correct. So they hear I'm a hospice chaplain, then they assume I'm visiting folks who are dying all the time. That is correct. Um, it's not always a Hollywood style death scene. For one, those scenes don't happen much because it's Hollywood, not real life. Yes, in my musical, I get to play with that because Mm -hmm. I wrote the story and people can do what what you want. But in real life, um, deaths often often happen rather quietly. Um, Sometimes family members hold vigil for days and weeks on end visiting and visiting and visiting and visiting. And then it's the first time that they all step out of the room that the person goes. 
Um, that is a very common thing. Not always, but it happens. Um, it's a very, but, you know, when I think about the work of hospice care, including the chaplaincy, Tara, I consider it very joyful and very warm. The fact, I guess if the fact of people dying brought you down and like made you feel depressed, then hospice care would not be a good placement for you. Right. And, you know, I've sometimes thought about doing, for instance, you know, working children's hospitals, that kind of thing. That's very intense work. I'm great with kids. It might also devastate me because I have my own child. So if I were to get a job like that, I would have to probably work with a supervisor and figure it out. I mean, anyone who does clinical work in settings that involve a lot of hurt people or hurting people, they have to have a really good emotional compass. I mean, my main job right now is probably scarier for a lot of your listeners. I'm a middle school chorus teacher. And I think a lot of people would prefer to visit people dying of cancer than to try to <laughs> co try to conduct 30 11 year olds. La, 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 la. But you know, I bet you some of your listeners do brave stuff like accountants. I, I, I don't know how to do my taxes. So I'm glad some of you, you can help me with that. Um, no, but you know, all, all joking aside, to me, the fact of death and dying isn't a dark thing. Cool. And if it were, I couldn't make a funny musical about it. I couldn't choose to spend time in, in hospice care. However, there are definitely sad moments. And I think that that deserves to be named. You know, late in the play, when our hero plays this sweet little lullaby to his friend Leroy, who's getting ready to fall asleep slash die. Um, it is definitely a beautiful, sad moment. And as the scene wraps, our hero finally breaks and he cries openly. And it is, it's basically one of the most dramatic moments of the play. And we need to see him cry because we have come to understand that he was holding in all of this grief and not letting it go. He was helping everyone else, but he was not seeking help from others. And in the end, it was the moment of loving help and singing and then being with his friend when his friend died, when he was like, ah. and, then, and then in that moment of release, when he finally cries, that's when his healing can begin. Hmm. So it's, to me, it's, I'm with you. It, it's not morbid. It's life. It's honesty. It's truth. And it's something to be talked about. Yes. Um, but other people, again, we have a wiring where not only are we comfortable, but we want to allow other people to be more comfortable as well, which is why we have this platform. Uh, and that's why you're doing what you do, because it's if if we're comfortable, let's bring it to the world. Uh, because Absolutely. people do use words like dark and morbid. And it's like, no, no, no. It's part of the life cycle, you know. Yeah, yeah it it's is. almost like people are scared to talk about it or we've used the word taboo. But really, 
it's good to be open to learning more about, you know, death and the end of life if you don't already know about it because it's a part of life. So That's right. That's yeah. right. When I'm talking with younger people, I just like to say real simply, death is part of life. Yeah. It's part of what makes life precious mm. is that we don't have it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, Very true. And then I, I think for the for a lot of us grown-ups, there's a lot of fear. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll be real with you and your listeners. The first time I saw a person who had already died, it was a little creepy. You know, I was doing my rounds and I saw the family and they're all talking. And, and I said, how's he doing? And they said, oh, he's fine. And then one of them, like, started laughing. And I'm like, what? And they're like, oh, he died half an hour ago. And they're all laughing. I, the whole scene was rather confusing. And it's like a perfect, perfect hospice moment. Your listeners might be like, where is he going with this? Well, for one, the family was there and they were with him. And it was a beautiful moment because they were saying he loved jokes and he always told jokes and we're just going to sit here and tell jokes. The other thing is like sometimes dead bodies look a little bit like someone taking a nap. And sometimes you can't really tell at first. Uh, Mm -hmm. Every hospice nurse I've ever met has a story like that, or if not five, where it's like they go into the room and they think the person's sleeping and they're dead, or they think the person's dead and they're sleeping. That is a very common uh, <laughs> like hospice um, blooper. I don't do that in my play. But, um, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm being a little bit playful and jokey here, but the truth is, the, the thing that happens in the hospice that so spooks people out is that people arrive to the end of their life and then they die. So they're living and they slow down and the breath slows and the heart slows and they die. Now, when you see that up close, especially when you're ready for it, it can be a very beautiful thing. It can be a mysterious thing. It can be a soothing thing or a spiritual thing. Um, Hmm. I think especially when it is a relatively quiet death, Mm -hmm. that's something wonderful about hospice care is that because you're not using machines and so forth, it is quiet. It can feel and look and sound peaceful. Mm. Um, So for me, that, those experiences times many times over have sort of rewritten a lot of these old narratives about death and dying that I might've inherited from like spooky movies or Disney things and so forth. Yeah. Um, But you know, it's very admirable what you've done in your hospice work, because I know just going through it, you know, in my own real life with my mother and then going through hospice again with my father, it's like, I, uh, I don't know how someone could do it all the time. So it's, Really admirable that you have that kind of heart because it's it's definitely not easy to see that and to see someone take their last breath. Um, well, th- thank you for the acknowledgement, and yeah. I'm glad that that despite the sadness, of course, you feel about having had your parents die, that 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 they received good, loving care in hospice. Mm-hmm. Seems mm-hmm. to me like I know we spoke earlier um, that it was helpful for you is important um because it's not easy again it it, it feels a little bit cliched or obvious to say it out loud but sometimes the cliched or obvious things 
need to be said. It is not easy when your loved one dies. It is not easy because you love them. That's true. So whether they die in a way that is so-called peaceful, if that can be arranged or managed, whether it's hospice or even death with dignity laws in, in the states where that's allowed, wonderful. If someone has a long protracted battle, you know what? That is also a thing that can happen. And then when they go, you're going to be sad and deal with that too. So like no matter how a death occurs, whether it's shocking, brief, prolonged, peaceful, it's going to it's going to break your heart on some level, especially if you're close to that person. Mm -hmm. um, that might be the place to start with, just an acceptance that this is going to be heart-wrenching. It's true. I mean, on that note, not to say turn the frown upside down, but um, I would like for you to, I mean, if you take this time now as we sort of wrap things up, where can our folks, our listeners, find more about your information? I mean, I know you have an Instagram if they want to check out your play more. Absolutely, absolutely. Plug well, thanks away. <laughs> plug, plug, plug. So um, for one, we have a, a beautiful website, lifereviewmusical.com com l-i-f-e-r-e-v-i-e-w musical m-u-s-i-c-a-l dot com lifereviewmusical.com there's lots of great information including a beautiful trailer where you can see some footage from our last live workshop which happened a year and a half ago then we got shut down for COVID. Oh, but bummer. uh total bummer but listen folks we have virtual tour 2021 and that is when you Wherever you are, if you have an internet connection, you can bring Life Review Musical to you. We have a fantastic virtual cabaret show, which I wrote after COVID happened. I took this two hour and 10 minute musical and I smushed it down, tightened it up <laughs> and uh, made it eight songs uh, and dialogue and stories in between. It's a tight 45 minutes. And I've had the honor in the last half year of presenting it for some schools. I presented it at a clinical conference for chaplains, at a large elder care facility, at a synagogue, wow. uh, and a big uh, fundraiser for Denver Hospice, which was amazing. So um, if your listeners um, are looking for some interesting entertainment for a charitable fundraiser, if you're involved with a medical facility, this makes a great in-service training. Um, so you can learn all about the play at the website. I am on Instagram at Life Review Musical. It wasn't, you know, every bedside visit wasn't like like Peaches puppies and, and yeah. bubblegum. Right. Yeah, we weren't always laughing, but I often use humor in my visits because I'm a funny guy. And and honestly, people like to be spoken to like people and not like tragedies. Something that you know, I, I think I mentioned earlier how important it is to show up, whether it's for the funeral or even more importantly, when the person's still alive. Um, again, I, I find myself mentioning this during a lot of interviews. Chaplains and social workers, yes, we are paid to visit and we will make our rounds, but we can all tell you that, that we're not the ones they really want to see. The, the folks in the beds, they want to see their loved ones. They want to see their friends. And in this day and age, if, if you're nervous because of COVID or just because you think you'll catch the uh, death and dying from the people you're seeing, you can call them. You can text them. You can use FaceTime. 
You can use Zoom. There's a lot of ways to visit, and it, it really makes a difference for people, for their spirits. It will not save their life. It will not make them young. And maybe that's part of the thing that's complicated because we sort of wish we all have this fantasy like, oh, I wish I wish I could cheer up so-and-so so he wouldn't be depressed. I wish I could visit so-and-so so she would recover and walk again. Well, that's maybe that's a Hollywood ending or maybe that's a fantasy, but that's not a that's not a real thing. In fact, there's a song in the first act um, called Wave a Wand. Um, it's not in the short cabaret version, but in the full length musical with all 16 songs, there is a song called Wave a Wand. And the premise is um, the young chaplain sees a gathering of the patients in one of the common rooms. And he, he sort of registers that he's having this feeling of fondness for them. Anyone who's ever worked in a care facility could probably relate to the scene because sometimes you just come upon your people and you're like, oh, they're my people. And you kind of have this feeling of love and so he has this feeling and, and he registers like, I wish, I wish I could make it that it weren't so, meaning I wish it weren't my friends in hospice care because my friends in hospice care, they're all going to be dying kind of soon. So the name of the song is Wave a Wand. And, and in, the, in the refrain, he says, I would give every treasure that I own to wave a wand, to wave a wand and make you young again. And that's just like the dream that, and, th and then in that song, it, it becomes an ensemble number where different members of the cast talk about their dreams. So the caregiver who's from Haiti, she wants to wave a wand and poof, be back on that beautiful Caribbean island. And Leroy, who's our retired uh, Baptist church musician, wants to wave a wand so his body works again, so he could play the organ with both hands. Um, you know, all of us, I think, have visions of what we would do if we had a magic wand for ourselves. I, had, I wish I had a wand daily, Ben. <laughs> I think once a day I have that thought where I'm like, ooh, if I just had a magic, magic wand. wand, become whatever you want. <laughs> Yeah, it's a big thing. And, and and the reason why I wanted to write a whole song about it is because in hospice care, and I, I would probably guess by extension, most clinical settings, folks like me, chaplains, doctors, nurses, therapists, caregivers, we often get from the loved ones, the plus one, as well as from the person in the bed, right? The patients. All I want is blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, they're paralyzed and all they want is to walk. Mm. Now, in that case, chances are, if there's serious permanent damage to the spinal cord, they are not going to walk. Or in the case of someone who's in hospice care for congenital heart failure, they're not likely to be coming home because their heart's failing them. Yeah. And they've chosen... To, to take this road, right? That is difficult. And yet, guarantee many of the loved ones right near them who might even be on board with hospice, they still want to wave that wand because we don't want to have to say goodbye to our loved ones. That's what's so hard about it. We love them. I mean, I once was taught um, the, 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 the famous priest who helped to start the hospice where I trained, Center for Hope, his name was Father, oh, this is terrible. Father something or other, not his given name. 
I'm going to say Father X, which makes him sound like a a superhero, right? Like a a mutant priest. (laughs) There you go. But anyway, this priest, um, he used to teach, uh, that was some build up, huh? He used to teach a sermon about grief um, where he, and and the sermon was called, or homily, as as it's known in the Catholic Church, his homily was called, The Tears Are Love. And he would teach this once a year at a special church memorial service, and because he was involved as one of the first priests in the United States to become involved with a early hospice movement, this, this hospice I worked at in New Jersey was a relatively early residential hospice in the States. Um, so this priest was involved and he was always teaching about grief because in the hospice movement, we, we have to deal with grief because our patients are dying and their loved ones grieve for them. Um, so he would teach this homily, the tears or the, the, the tears are love. And what it means is we don't cry for the people we don't know. Think about it. If you flip on the local TV news and the opening story is like a multi-car pileup on the interstate, if you don't know anyone in that car, you're not crying. It is objectively horrible that four people were killed tonight in a pileup. It's horrible, but most of us will not cry. Why? Because we don't know those four individuals. Now, everyone who knows those four people, when they get that text or that call, they are likely to cry because the tears are about love. One of the things that happens in the play is we see a lot of of tears and we experience crying, but not everyone is ready to cry which is like a real life thing. Yeah. You know, sometimes so people, true. they're not ready to cry because they're so busy being angry. Yeah. We have a scene early in the play when there's a mom who's so furious at God because her 25 year old son is dying of leukemia. And then she takes it out on the chaplain, which is a common thing, yeah. you know, because the, the religious uh, professional, the clergy, they are sort of like a stand in for God. Um, shout out to all the clergy listening. Think about the last time someone came at you and you thought to yourself, they're mad at God, not me. Well, that happens a lot when you're a working chaplain because people are pissed. Mm -hmm. Their loved one is dying. God, what happened? I go to church every week. Now, when I say that, I'm not, to be clear, I'm not mocking that. I have literally had that conversation with people more times than you would know. Where and, And I think it's because most of us never really get past a child's theology when you're like six or seven, you are often taught something that's like, if you're good and loving yeah, and follow the rules, you will be blessed. Yeah. You will not suffer. You will be happy. You will go to heaven. I know there's variations on the theme depending on your, your faith, but there's an implicit yeah. idea that be good and it's all good. Yeah. Well, when you're an adult, you quickly discover that is not the case. You feel robbed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the reasons why a lot of chaplains do their most intense theological work with the plus ones, it's because they are the ones who are so devastated. So when it's the husband dying in the bed, some of my most intense work is going to be with the wife, the soon-to-be widow, who just can't believe, and and they will say things to me like, Cantor, he is the sweetest man you've ever met. 
And, and I hear it and I acknowledge it. And I also know that, that there is no logic that we are ever explicitly taught that says, if you are a nice person, you will never die of a disease. No one says like nice equals immortal. Mm -hmm. But in the moment that we see our loved ones suffering, dying of cancer or dealing with debilitating illness of whatever type, it just doesn't make sense to us because we love them. Um, That moment of deep disconnect or confusion can for many people cause a theological crisis. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, in, in, Which in is a, grief, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. grief grief can definitely um, be wrapped up in theological issues or theological mm-hmm. issues can certainly arise related to grief challenges. Well, I like and how I you, think, yeah, I go ahead. you shared that. The way that you just shared that whole scenario and like kind of what we're taught implicitly, just the way that you were able to frame that, I really resonated with that. Um, I've, I've, I've felt it before and I've experienced it, but I've never like heard it the way that you explained it. And it absolutely makes so much sense. Um, Our language is about acquiring things, acquiring things, not losing things, even from a young age. Like, like even, you know, I I tell a story about my parents said, we're getting a divorce. Our language is about obtaining, acquiring things, not losing things. So even about a divorce, which is a loss and a breakup, the language is still, we're getting something. Interesting. Right. And, and, and then that, and then the theological part of it too, like we're kind of taught to get closer to God. You, you go through communion, confirmation, like there's these steps and you acquire, you grow, you're good and you're blessed. Like you said, no one actually says you'll be immortal, but it's it's certainly implied. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there. I mean, I, I don't want to go too far down this this rabbit hole, but it's certainly relevant for grief because I I think especially for traumatic grief, you know, God forbid, your listener is dealing with, you know, someone who is a victim of a crime or mentioned a car crash, a murder, whatever, or, um. A, a death at an age that is perceived as too young, too soon, that can cause a whole different level of grief that I mentioned before, that, that complicated grief. And if we have a strong sense of faith, it can shake us. Look, early in the play, um, my character, the rabbi, sings his I Wish song. So for all of you musical theater buffs, you know this already. Forgive me, I'm just gonna explain for everyone else who doesn't know how awesome musicals are yet. So early in a musical, um, someone, I guess Tara is with us on Team Musical, or she isn't, and she thinks- I think she secretly is. Are you, Tara? All right. Mm, We'll see. We'll We'll see, see. all right. Hit or miss. No, she she doesn't like musicals, just hospice musicals. It's like my parents, they say, we don't, Benjamin, we don't like dogs. We just like your dog. dog. Yeah. I love musicals. Yeah, so so one of the big things in a musical is the I Wish song. It's usually the second or third or fourth song. It's always in the beginning half of the first act. And it's when the main character states their biggest wish, desire, hope. And then whether that wish can be realized or come true or not is the essential question of the play. 
So Ariel in uh, Little Mermaid, she wants to be part of their world. And um, I think of like uh, Moulin Rouge, right? Like he wants to fall in love. Sure. Is that maybe sure. the I wish song? And Annie, it's tomorrow. Like mm. it's it, her dream is optimism, even though she's like a poor orphan. Yeah. She wants to find some okay. optimism. Okay, okay, that's called an I wish song. Cool. So in my play, my I wish song is the chaplain trying to find hope from heaven. Wow. Because he is struggling with his grief. Well, he's struggling with grief. He's he's a character roughly my age and he looks just right like me. But um, the fictional version of me, he has lost both of his parents. And so he's struggling as a youngish man, not having parents anymore. And he looks to the heavens and he says, God, can you hear me even when I've nothing to say, even when nothing's going my way? God, be with me. And. God, what if I can't say a word or it comes out wrong? God, tell me if asking's absurd. Do you like my song? And the, I, I will not rap recite all of the lyrics, but it's this feeling of like, like I want to pray, I want to look to you for hope and relief. But what if, what if all my words don't sound right or feel right anymore? Um, if you are a person of deep faith, and, and it, as you're listening, no judgment if you are or you aren't, but if you are a person of faith, I imagine that there have been times in your life when either you saw something on the news that was so cataclysmic, you know, a natural disaster, something terrible like that, where you were like, God, and you actually found yourself calling out to God, and um, and that's a, that's a good way to learn more. Um, and... You know, I I know we did a lot of talking about about visiting. Um, you know, the heart of the musical is about the visits, mm -hmm. right? And the visits start with company, and then with the words, you have stories, and then it all opens up. So if if there's a, a parting word, I encourage all of you to ask those questions and invite those stories to the people in your life who matter, not just the folks who might be dealing with illness or, or old age, but like take a little extra time to ask the folks in your life, not just how are they, but you know, ask, ask about their stories. Um, it's gonna mean a lot to them. And at a certain point in life, they might not be around to tell them to you. So I, I do encourage you to, to ask Ask those stories and invite that that connection between you and the, the people you love. All right, Benjamin. So we're gonna we're gonna end here with playing one of the songs from your musical Life Review. I'd like to sing for you a song called Lullaby to Rest in Peace. So this song happens late in the play. It's a lullaby that our character Rabbi David sings to his friend and patient Leroy. He's getting ready to go to sleep and he wants to say goodnight to him. Lay on back, rest your head, lay thee down. 
close your eyes, darling dear, you drift away, I'll stay right here. Time to sing a lullaby, sing a soft, sincere goodbye, tuck you in for a dream so sweet, heaven awaits, your life's complete. your face, soothe your fear, you are holy, your life's been blessed, now my love, it's time to rest, time to sing a lullaby, sing a soft, sincere goodbye, tuck you in for a dream so sweet, heaven awaits. Your life's complete, so rest, rest in peace, rest, rest in peace, rest, rest in peace. Well, everyone, that wraps up this episode of Portraits of Grief podcast. Again, we were joined today by our special guest, Benjamin Kittish, and he can be found on Instagram at Life Review Musical. So thank you again, Benjamin, for joining us today and bringing us your special collaboration of your musical um, about life in review through your journey of hospice and grieving and helping to bring light. Hopefully this episode helped to bring a little bit of uh, love and light to our listeners. Again, you can find us at portraits underscore of underscore grief at Instagram, and we are available to listen on any major listening platform. Thanks again for tuning in.